Monday night, though. I, I wanted to share this with you. You know, it's, it's nice when my parents have computer problems and things like that. I used to have, you know, it's a three-hour round trip if I, if I needed to, to come and, and see to them. They're four minutes from the building. On Sunday morning, the first Sunday I asked my mom, I said, how long did it take you to get here? And she said, four minutes. And I said, mom, that is oddly specific. And she said, well, you know your dad. <laughs> I could just see them on Sunday morning. Ready? Go. <laughs> uh, I've been thinking a lot about y'all and, and how much y'all took care of them and how uh, it's time now for, for us to take care of them. But they couldn't have gotten where they are without y'all taking care of them. And when I went over there, they were trying to get their computer set up and get their internet set up. And I was feeling good about helping them get all those things together. And I finally got everything set up and I said, okay, mom, you're ready to go. Your internet's connected. Your email's connected. And she pulled up a browser. You know, first place she went? Graber Road's Facebook page. And I wanted to tell you all that because I want, they can move, but you will always be close to their heart. I, I've told my dad and I've told my, my family, Lake Houston will never be Graber Road to them. Uh, we'll do our best to be family, but we won't ever take your place in their, in their, your place in their heart. Churches are interesting. They all have personalities, don't they? They all have uh, their own uh, their own ways, their own problems. It's interesting in these churches in Revelation that they're not all the same. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, but different kinds of congregations. And, and they all had their own issues. <clears throat> I was in a, a class. I got to go to one of Heather's classes, and she's having all the men and women stretch out and, and do different things. And there's an older man, maybe he's in his 80s, right next to me. And he wasn't very flexible, and he was struggling with some of the stretches. And and then a little bit later on, I was embarrassed because he was much better at something than I was. And I thought about that when I was studying about the churches. The churches were strong in, in some ways and, and weak in some ways. They each had challenges. Laodicea had a very specific challenge. Uh, they struggled with keeping that intensity and that fire. They'd, they'd kind of settled into lukewarmness. And we're going to look at that tonight. We're going to start uh, by looking at their difficulties. And then we're going to look at the instructions that God gave them. Uh, the trust that they had to have in God, and then how they could overcome those things better if they were together. First of all, we're going to talk about their difficulties. Look in verses 14 uh, through 16 of Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So here's a church with, with an issue, a church with a problem. They weren't cold or hot. It would be good to be hot, wouldn't it? We see in the Bible, we see some verses like in, in Luke chapter 24 when the, the men are on the road to Emmaus. And they, the, chapter 24, it's interesting, I preached a sermon out of this when... Uh, someone told our young people at a visiting congregation that there was no room for emotion in Christianity. Did you know that? Don't read Luke chapter 24. It's full of all kinds of, of emotion, but they're sad at first, and, and they're sad that things haven't turned out the way that they thought they would. But as they go along in, in Luke chapter 24, when they get to verse 32, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. Every once in a while I get to go to a, a talk or a lesson or someone, one of my favorite uh, preachers or teachers, and sometimes it just 
set your heart on fire. You, you walk out of there motivated and, and ready to go. These men had talked to Jesus. And we can understand that heat of our, our hearts won fire within us. This sadness got wiped away and all of a sudden they had this intensity. Do you ever feel sorry for Jeremiah as a, as a preacher, as a prophet? What do we call him? What's his nickname? <clears throat> the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is a long book in the Old Testament. We never have any indication that anybody ever responded to a single word he said. We, we have no great crowds. It's not like the day of Pentecost when you had thousands. Jeremiah doesn't want to do this in the first place. He tells God, I don't want to do this. And God says, no, you're going to do it. And, and he gives him a message. But in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, he says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. This idea of being hot, we understand this. When you're hot, when you're on fire, when, if someone is in sports, they'll say they're really heating up or they're on fire today. We understand that intensity. But you know what was always confusing to me about Laodicea as a kid? Jesus doesn't say to the church, if you can't be hot, at least be a little warm. He said, would that you were either cold or hot. Now you think about that. Think about being a fairly warm Christian. And, and maybe you're not hot. Maybe you're not on fire. But your fire's not out. It's just warm. And Jesus says, if you're not hot, it'd be better for you to be cold. But if you're lukewarm, if you're somewhere in between, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You know, that, that's like saying, if you, to me, it sounded like if you can't make a hundred on the test, it'd be better if you just failed than to make a 60 or 70. And you know what, I just realized, I guess, that that's true. I, I took some finance classes and uh, uh, Heather and I had just gotten married and marriage and school were kind of conflicting with each other and I didn't do my projects, I didn't take my final exam, I, I'd, I'd gotten behind on a lot of things and my teacher told me, I had three classes, and he said, you have enough grades, I'll give you a D. I'll give you a D. Or, you can take the F and retake the classes in the spring. And I, I took the F. and Because I, I thought, if I take that D, I'll never redo it. I'll never do right. I, I'll just, I'll accept that and I'll be comfortable with it. It would be better for me to either pass with a good grade or, or fail, and I retook them and made A's. And, I, and this idea of it would be better for you to be hot or cold, but this in-between area. But I want to talk to you for just a moment. Why would it be better to be cold spiritually than lukewarm? Why would that be a better thing? My girls, and maybe my boys too, but my, I know my girls like iced coffee. Never seen my dad drink an iced coffee in my life. Coffee should be hot to him. Hot and black. <laughs> but, but my girls all like iced coffee and flavored coffee. And, and most people order one or another. Do you know what you, you can't find out there at, at Starbucks or Dunkin' or any place like that? I've never seen on the menu lukewarm coffee, warm coffee. Have you, ever, have you ever picked up a coffee mug of coffee that you thought was still warm? It's not good, is it, Roy? It, it, it's not what you expect. Or, or the other direction... I, I, and for some reason, I remember the Dr. Pepper, but you, I reached for a can of Dr. Pepper and I expected it to be cold and it had been sitting out and it was room temperature. It's just not, it's not the same, is it? 
Make it hot or make it cold. I like hot pizza. I really like cold pizza. But not many people serve it in between. What is this, this spiritual thing about being cold? Why would it be better to be cold than to be spiritually lukewarm? If you're spiritually cold, I think you're more likely to do something about being cold. Uh, do you remember when the temperature dropped? So, so On our side of town, it got down to about 17 or 15 degrees. Our electricity went out. People were having a hard time keeping their, their homes warm. We passed a lady out on the street, no kidding, picking up sticks and wood. Wow, it's like going back in time. I figured she was going to take it home and put it in her fireplace and, and keep her fireplace going. But uh, there were long lines at the gas station. People were... And the gas stations were sold out, but that didn't stop us all from circling around and around looking for something. But when you're cold, when you're really cold, you do something. If you're just a little chilly, eh, that's not very motivational. But if you're cold, you do something. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 and, and verse 32. Jesus said, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. You've got this comparison, the tax collectors and, and the prostitutes. Well, they knew something was wrong with them, didn't they? There weren't many prostitutes sitting around saying, you know, I, I think I'm okay spiritually. I think I'm okay with God. The tax collectors knew that they were traitors. They knew that they were hated. And they knew why they were hated. But at least if you're cold... You do something about it. Because your condition is, is undeniable. I think we, it's easy to fall into the idea that I'm, I'm faithful enough. Or I'm getting by. You know, when people say, how are you doing? What do we say? We usually say, fine. It's not great. Not horrible. Fine. I, I'm okay. And, and sometimes we get into this comparison thing about, uh, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as someone else. You know, I, I must be doing okay because I'm not that bad. I'm doing, I'm doing okay. We're okay with lukewarm spirituality. When you can't deny your condition, though, Matthew chapter 26 and, and verse 74, Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear and said, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and sniffed a few times and wiped away. You know what your Bible says? He went out and wept bitterly. Bitter. Have you ever watched someone weep bitterly? Do you know what ugly crying is? Ugly crying. When you, <laughs> it's not pretty. And you're making faces and your nose is running. And, you're, and, and the Bible says Peter's out weeping. Why is Peter weeping bitterly? There's no denying that Peter is not good with God. Jesus said before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. I will not. So he thought he would be on fire. Even if, Lord, even if I have to die, I won't deny you. And the Bible says, we always pin this on Peter, but the Bible says, and all the other disciples said the same. Now Peter has to face. I love in Acts chapter 2 when it says, and Peter taking his stand with the eleven. What if Peter had kind of been there for Jesus? You know, what if he had just stood at a little bit of a distance or maybe swung his sword around a little bit or maybe gotten into throwing a few punches and, and, and maybe thought, well, you know, I, 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 I did something. Peter couldn't deny that he chickened out completely. He stood at a distance. When they said, aren't, aren't, weren't you with him? No. Aren't you one of his? I'm not. 
I, I think you were. I think you were with him. I do not know the man. When you are cold, when you're sinful, when you know that you're away from God, there's no denying it. I think when you're cold, you change your clothes. Colossians chapter 3 tells us about what, what we wear. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9 says this, Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This idea about take this old stuff off. Take off those old things. Put on the new stuff. When, when you're cold, you change clothes. My wife and I have this long-running discussion. Sometimes she'll say, uh, say, Kevin, I'm really cold. And I say, well, you need to put on something warmer. Or she'll say, Kevin, I'm really hot. And I'm saying, well, you're wearing long sleeves and two or three layers. And go put on something cooler. You can change your clothes. And if, if you're cold, you will. You know, when the temperature dropped down to 17 degrees, I had a run scheduled for that day. I did not go out in running shorts. I had a balaclava on and I had gloves and warmers and, and, and warm socks and all those things. When, when you know it's cold, you change clothes. But you know, if it's just kind of so-so, you'll just tough it out. You'll keep on the clothes that you have. When you're cold, you realize, I need to change what I'm wearing. My condition is undeniable. I need to do something. And, and, and if nothing else, you at least move. You move somewhere, somehow. You know, one of the saddest things I read when that, those freezing temperatures came in, they found an, an elderly man sitting in his recliner, dead, frozen, just sitting there. And, and they said he'd been disabled and he hadn't been able to move. And they said if he had just been able to get up and move and, and circulate that blood and warm his body up, but he couldn't move and, and he didn't do anything. And so he just froze to death. And so at least when you're very cold, you'll... you'll pound your arms and jump up and down and, and you do something, you move in some way. I, I love in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 when Peter tells them, he says in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what was the question? What shall we do? What shall we do? There's a lady at Lake Houston, I appreciate that she said this. She said, you know, no matter how badly the Jews had done toward God in killing his son, what did they know about God from history? There's always something you can do. They didn't say, oh no, we're doomed. They didn't say, oh no, we're, we're all going to die. They said, what do we do? Just tell us what we do. We've been studying through the Old Testament. There's always something to do, isn't there? If you'll come back to me, if you'll be restored, if you'll obey me, if you'll be careful to do what I said, I will forgive you and I will pour out my blessings on you. There was always something to do. There was always somewhere to go. And at least if you're cold, you say, you know what? I shouldn't be here. I don't know exactly where I need to be, but I know here is not good. 
I know these evil clothes are not good. I know this place and this attitude is not good. I need to move. I need to do something. It's better when, you're, when you know you're cold, isn't it? Because maybe you'll do something about it. Maybe you can't deny where you are. So Jesus says it would be, be better if you're, if you're, it'd be great if you're hot, but it'd be either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, which begs the question, who is Luke? And why does he get his own temperature? Do you know why it's called lukewarm? I was surprised. Do you, do you remember this? The old English word lew, L-E-W, lew, means weak or tepid. Tepid is not good. Tepid is halfway between hot and cold. Lou. So it was lou warm. And like all of our language, we luke. <laughs> we made it lukewarm, but something weak or tepid, something in between. Why is lukewarm a problem? We know cold's a problem, but at least maybe you'll but why would Jesus have such a strong reaction to lukewarmness? It's it's isn't it better than nothing? Jesus doesn't seem to think so. This lukewarmness, one of the problems with lukewarmness is that there's still works going on. Did you notice Jesus said, I know your works? Some of you are teachers. Some of you have taught or trained. In every class I ever had of, of military recruits, there was always that guy, every single class. On the first day of training, he had a question. You know what it was? What is the minimum to graduate? What is the least I have to do to get out of here with my commission? What, what, what's the bare minimum? Sir, what's the minimum? Okay, we're going to go out. We're going to do these push-ups. Sir, what's the minimum? Okay, we have a test coming up this weekend. What's the minimum? How well do you think that guy did? How inspiring was he as a, as a brother-at-arms? What's the least I can do and not get kicked out? Think about that from a spiritual point of view. How many people do you know who hedge their bets spiritually on Christmas and Easter? What is the least I can do? How, how often do I really need to engage with God in order to still be in His good graces? How can I, how can I make sure, if I'm not completely gone, well, I still go to church. I, I joke all the time that people somehow have gotten the idea that the church directory is the book of life. And if your name is in the directory, then your name is in the book of life. And we'll have people who will be gone for years. And, and we'll let them know, you know, we're, we've, we've reached out to you and we've tried to come see you. And we're going to go ahead and remove. No, 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 no. Do not remove my name. Don't take my name out of there. I need my name in there. I'm a member of that church. Well, are you sure? That, that idea of being some, somewhere in and, and somewhere out... Jesus says, I know your works, but, but you're lukewarm. And, and they're trying to skate by with that, with that minimum. What does the Bible tell us about our work? Should it be lukewarm work? The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shale to which you're going. Uh, a new member at Lake Houston, young man, came to help uh, Caleb and, and Joshua and I move and empty a U-Haul for another family. And he worked so hard in the inside of that truck. We were all walking into the air conditioning and he was inside that truck. You know what it's like working inside a U-Haul 
during this weather. And he got so hot and so sick that he went and threw up and then he came back and worked some more and then he went and threw up again and then came back. He threw up five or six times. Uh, and finally said, I'm done. <laughs> and he went, and went to drive home and he called me about 30 minutes later and he said, I'm sitting in my truck. I don't think I can drive. So his father came and picked him up and took him home. I checked on him the next day, are you okay? No. <laughs> then on Sunday I noticed he wasn't there and I asked his dad. He said he's still not back, back to 100%. And I texted him and I said, I, I appreciate that you worked your guts out, literally, uh, but I'm sorry you're, you're feeling bad. But we, we say this in sports, we talk about this, when someone leaves it all on the field, sometimes literally, they leave it on the field. But this, this idea of giving everything you've got, the Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That doesn't just mean if you work for the church, whatever you do, whatever you decide to do, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with the, all your might. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. As Christians, do we honor that, that command that whatever you do, do it with all your might, work unto the Lord, whatever you do, work unto the Lord? Do you know this phrase? It's good enough for government work. You know that phrase? My very first job with the government, I worked with a man named Dave. And I, I went over to see him, and he, before I got to his desk, he said, Hey, Kevin. And I said, How did you know it was me? And he pointed up, and he had a little mirror. You know, like those traffic mirrors where you can see around the corner? He had a little mirror up on the corner of his cubicle so he could see around the corner. And I said, What's that for? He had his newspaper, and he was working the crossword puzzle during work, and, and I said, what's that mirror for? And he pointed at his crossword puzzle, and he said, I need to be able to see if the boss is coming. And he said, I'm two years from retirement. And he said, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. They're not going to fire me. He said, I'm just biding my time. And he said, let me tell you about this phrase, it's good enough for government work. Okay. If you were his boss, would you be proud of him? Would you recommend him? Would, would you reward him? Would you name him employee of the month? If, if you were able to see his, not, not just his actions but his heart, would you be impressed by that? Would, would you not say, look, either work for us or, or leave us, but this is not working. This is not a relationship here. This is not, this is not admirable or respectable. And, and so you can understand God's perspective. Look, if you're going to be in this, be in it. Whatever your hands finds to do, do it with all your might. Work as, an, as under the Lord. Give it everything you've got. If you're going to be a Christian, don't let it be a hobby. Don't let it be something you dabble in. If you're not going to be in it, then why bother? There's a, there's a congregation up near the Canadian border. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, but the preacher called it Bandwagon Sunday. They're their building was landlocked. They couldn't expand. They couldn't increase parking. They had a very small auditorium, but the church was healthy and, and doing well. And they would outgrow their facilities because it was small. And, and the area was booming. And, and, and they would have chairs set up. And once a year, he would tell people, I need you to make a decision. Get on or get off. Because if you're not on, we need to make room for other people. And, and one of the guys walked up to him, a friend of his, and he said, you know, if you keep saying things like that, I'm going to leave. And he said, that's kind of the point. 
You know, if, if you're not fully committed, please move out of the way so someone else who's fully committed. You know, for a long time I wanted to be a, a I, I didn't want to be. That's exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to tell you. I, I did all my stuff to be a pilot for the Air Force. I passed my class one flying physical. I, I put in all my paperwork. I did everything I needed to do. It was all, all set up. Do you know one of the reasons I veered off of that? Every guy I met said, hey, have you always wanted to be a pilot? Have you been dreaming about this since you were a little kid? Was your room full of airplanes? Is that all you ever wanted to do? No. <laughs> no, someone told me that was the best way to make rank. They said, that if you want to make rank, that's the best place to do it. But I was around all these people that are what we call ate up. You know what that means? Ate up with flying. And I thought, I'm not one of those people. And I need to get out of the way because those are the guys we want flying. Right? Who do we want as Christians? Do we want people who treat Christianity as a hobby? Do you think God wants disciples who at the first sign of trouble take off or when things don't go well give up or say, you know what, I can't really be, uh, I can't be, really be bothered to be made uncomfortable to do this thing. I'm not going to suffer for doing good. Why would I do that? Comfortable is, is awfully comfortable, isn't it? You know, it, not in here, but in the other auditorium. I am not going to name her by name, but there was a member of this congregation years ago that in the middle of the sermon would get up and walk up to the front and change the temperature in the auditorium. And as a little boy, it was right in front of where, where I sat with my parents. She'd walk up there and she'd look and she'd change it and then go back and sit down. And, and, and I would ask my dad, why, why is she changing the, the temperature? Well, she's cold or she's hot. or you know, she would, she would go up there, but, but we want comfortable, don't we? Uh, do you know what a, a foot thermostat is? How many of you, when you're hot under the covers, you stick your foot out? Yeah? Kind of cool things down, a little bit of cold, a little bit of hot. Somewhere in the middle, you, you get comfortable. That's, that's what we seek, don't we? We, we look for comfortable. I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea. Do you know this term? It's a scientific term. It's called the Goldilocks zone. You know what that is? Whenever you have a star in, in, the, in space, like our sun, the Goldilocks, for, for a little bit, water can't be, wa I mean, water is in a vapor state because it's so hot. And then if you go too far away, water is in a solid state because it's ice. But in between ice and water vapor, water can be liquid. Water can be water. And, and that's called the Goldilocks zone. Do you know why? Yeah, it, make, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's too hot. It's too cold. It's just right. I say that because I want to say I think our nature seeks comfortable. I told someone today, I'd rather have this hot than the cold. Are you like that or some of you would rather have the cold? I could work in this, but when it gets cold and I can't feel my fingers, can't work on machinery or anything like that, can't feel my fingers, I'd, I'd rather have this, but you know what the best is? Comfortable. And I want us to be able to admit this. Lukewarm is pretty appealing. In Christianity, I think that's important as we study this. Because we can point fingers at Laodicea and say, oh, bad church. But I want to tell you, most of us in here seek comfortable. I bet at your house you keep your thermostat somewhere between 68 and 75. Right? No, no matter if you... No? No? Hotter? 78? See, I... Why'd you have to go and ruin it? <laughs> but see, we're different, but it's probably comfortable for you. Uh, or you like saving the money on the electricity, maybe. But, uh, but, but we seek this 
we seek this, this comfort level um, where things are okay. And here's the problem. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, they were comfortable. Look, they were still working. They hadn't quit. They, they hadn't left the church. These are not pagans. They're not non-Christians. This is the church of Christ. Working, right? They're still working. They're still worshiping. They're still doing what they do. Yet Jesus says to them, you're not hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, what's the response? I'm going to, that word spit, or your Bible might say spew, or some translations say vomit. But it's a, proje a projectile word, <laughs> not dribble. It's not, this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of you. I'm going to get you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you out. I'm going to spit you out. I, and I know if you've done the coffee, Roy, and you, you, you don't, you don't mm, 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 another drink. You get it out of your mouth. You don't want it. You don't want to digest it. You don't want to have it. He says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And so here we have the problem. We, we've established there's a problem in this church. So what does God do? What does his son do when a church has a problem? Does he just wipe his hands and walk away? No, he loves the church. He died for the church. Just like you would for family. And so he says, look, you have a problem. And I like this about God. God is very blunt. He's very straightforward. And even and through his son, look, you have a problem. You're lukewarm. And this is a problem. And I'm going to spew you out. If something doesn't change, I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And so he tells them, here's the instruction. Here's what he wants them to do in verse 17. Of Revelation chapter 3. He says, for you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. See, he gives them a solution. Brethren, what shall we do? Someone tells you you're lukewarm, your Christianity is lukewarm, you can say, okay, what do I need to do? And before they even ask, Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Here's the situation that you're in. The first thing you need to do is you need to look at yourself more closely because there's a misunderstanding between what you think you see and, and what is. Heather, I delivered the, your drill to my dad today. He, he, gave his, he gave his drill away and now he needs a drill because my mother wants to put up her magnifying makeup mirror. Do any of you have one of those? Uh, I, I, I had a picture I was going to show you. It's an advertisement for a magnifying mirror. It said 10 times magnification. See the beauty. <laughs> oh, we have a magnifying mirror and what you see is not the beauty. What you see is the ugly. You do, don't you? Any of you have one of those? You see every pore, every wrinkle, every hair. You know, you see, you see everything. It just magnifies it. And, but, but you know what? You know what it's showing you? It's showing you what is. It's not making things up. You know, that's, it's funny. This, this phrase doesn't mean anything anymore. They used to always say, pictures don't lie. Well, now they do. With Photoshop, you know, you could make a picture lie. You could take someone out and put someone else in. Uh, but they used to say pictures don't lie before all the photo editing software. But that mirror, when you see yourself in that mirror, it's not putting things on your face. It's showing you what is. 
And I appreciate this about God as well. When he wants us to change, first he has to say, look, this is who you are. There's something that they, that they say they are. You, you say that you're rich and prosperous and, and don't need anything. Isn't this like the Jews? What? We, we've never been slaves to anyone. We're children of Abraham. Look how, look how righteous we are. That's, that's what they saw. That's what they saw, but they needed to see differently. Because here's what Jesus said they, they were. You're wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. You know, if you've ever been to a funhouse mirror, uh, it may warp your view, but it doesn't warp your reality. You know, your, bo your body doesn't all of a sudden get squiggles in it. But, but what you think you see and what you hope you see is not what is real. And, and Jesus wants them to see what is real because they've got a skewed vision of themselves. Now, does that mean, is that mean of Jesus to say, I want you to see who you really are? No, because that's the beginning of change. I, I always loved the very first day of basic training because you had this mix of prior and non-prior Enlist, you know, prior enlisted guys who'd been in for six or seven years and non-prior who had come off the street and they have no idea what they're doing. And you can always tell them apart on the first day because the non-prior guy comes in and his shirt is hanging out and his boots are dull and he's looking around and flopping his arms around and then you'll see this guy who maybe made master sergeant and he'll be standing there ramrod straight and you can read a newspaper in his boots and Everything is just, and, and you can see him looking around the room, and he's just like the Pharisee. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men. You can see it. And when you come into the class, do you know whose face you get in? You get in that guy's face. And you start explaining to him in very detailed, personal terms how for some reason he has misunderstood that he thought he was here for himself, and the guy standing next to him that could have used his help is falling apart and failing, and who do you think you are? You've obviously got this knowledge, and why have you not helped your brother to succeed, and, and by the time they're done, I'm sorry. You're not doing it to hurt them. You're doing it to wake them up. You're, you're doing it to help them. You and I had some great conversations in the cabin, and... But some of them were really blunt back and forth. I mean, we, we talked about some things. And you know why. Because when you love a brother, when you talk to someone, you don't beat around the bush. And, and Jesus tells them, look, you think, you think that you're rich. But you're poor. You think you're, you've prospered, but you're wretched and pitiable. You think you don't need anything, but you're blind and naked. Look how far reality was from, uh, from what they saw about themselves. So what do you do? Okay, here's, here's who you are. I'm going to hold a mirror up to you. Don't flinch. A lot of people look away. When you show them who they are, they don't want to see it, they don't want to hear about it, and they walk away. You know that person can't change because they will not accept. Have you ever, any of you who have studied with someone in the Bible and they come face to face with themselves in Scripture and they turn away from it? I, 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 Andy, I bet you've seen that where people, they come face to face with who they are in their sin and they don't want to look anymore. But I know Andy has seen differently as well when people come face to face and their heart breaks and they want to know, what do I do? How do I take care of this? How do I, how do I fix what's broken? See, when it lands on good soil and if, if the, the soil in Laodicea is good, Jesus can say, look, here's your problem. You're lukewarm. I, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And, and you're, you're, you're de deceiving yourself. You think that things are, are better than they are. And so he says, so I have counsel for you. I want you to buy from me. And there's more than one place to shop spiritually, isn't there? 
know the most disappointing thing in India is? It's the dessert. It's beautiful. It's the most beautiful desserts I've ever seen in my life. They're no good. They're no good. You put them in your mouth and you can't figure out if you're eating anything. I'm, 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 where's the dessert? <laughs> they're just, they're, a lot of them are fluff and air and things. And it's so disappointing. You, you look down and you think, oh, this looks so good. I want to tell you, when you buy from Satan, that's what you get. When you buy from Satan, you get the package. You get what looks good on the outside, but it, it's bitter when it goes down and it takes you farther than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay. That's an old sermon. It costs you more than you want to pay and, and it, it's bitter and it goes down. And, and, and Jesus says, when you buy from me, because when you buy from Jesus, you're not getting the counterfeit stuff. You're not getting the knockoff. Oh, I have a friend who has a Rolex. It's an awesome watch. It's a Rolex. And when you look at it, you know, the K is so close to an X, and he loves to show it off. He's like, look at my Rolex. Like $85, my Rolex. It's fake. It's not the real thing. And, and Jesus says, I want you to buy. So what can we buy from him? For this church in Laodicea that's struggling with being tepid, with being lukewarm, he says, you can buy riches from me. You can, you can buy gold refined by fire. Where else is that in the Bible? It's in the book of James. And it says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And the Bible talks about our faith as being, as being refined by fire, to go through difficult things. I, uh, I talked to a lady at, at uh, services last Sunday, and she's been through a lot in the last couple of years. And she said, you know, I just, I just, want, I just want an easier life. I just want an easier life. I said, how's your prayer life lately? Oh, it's better than it's ever been. How, how's your Bible study? Oh, I, I get it. I've been looking to God for comfort. Yeah, yeah. And I just left it. And I, I wanted her to see, you know, this suffering that you've been through and this difficulty you've been through has driven you deeper into your faith. We want easy, but God says, no, you can buy from me. Jesus says, you can buy from me riches, gold refined by fire, clothing, white garments to cover your nakedness. The Bible talks about those who are, who are dressed in white. And he says, buy from me salve so that you can see. Uh, I never liked that stuff that people put in your eyes. Heather puts liquid silver in our eyes. You ever had someone drop that stuff in? Catherine, you do that? It stings, and when the kids were little, they'd wail and thrash from side to side. Why were you so abusive? What was she doing? She's trying to help with things like pink eye and eye infections and things like that, putting that... Have you ever had someone put salve in your eyes and for a moment you, all you see is that vaseline kind of vision? But you do it. You put salve in. You put something in to try to clean out the impurities. They're blind. They need something to allow them to see. Buy salve from me, not from the deceiver. Buy it from me. Get riches from me, true riches. Get clothing from me, not these works of the flesh. Buy it, buy it from me. Get these things from me when you get it from Jesus, you know you're getting the real deal. At the end of that uh, section in Revelation chapter 3, we go back. So, so they've been told what their problem is, and, and they've been given some instructions on how to, to fix it. But you know, when you're lukewarm, you've got to figure out how to trust God in this. How do I know that he's steering me in, in the right direction? We have to trust him that he loves us. Look in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Can you trust that it's love when God disciplines you? The Bible tells us in Hebrews, 
that, that he disciplines us for our good, that we might share his holiness. He says, if you have a father, they disciplined us for our good, it seems best to them. He disciplines us for our good. It's not to hurt you. It's not to make you upset. He's not getting on to Laodicea so Laodicea will, will be angry or upset. He's telling Laodicea because he doesn't want them to be blind anymore. He doesn't want them to be poor anymore. He wants them to be spiritually rich. He wants them to see. He wants them to be clothed so they're not walking around naked like the emperor in his new clothes thinking he's all dressed up. And finally a girl says, you're naked. He wants them to be good. Your father wants you to do right and to be right. This is a sign of his love. We have to trust him because it doesn't feel like love, does it? I always hated that when I was a little kid. This hurts me more than it hurts you. And I didn't buy that as a kid. It doesn't make any sense. There's a trust there that when God reproves us and disciplines us and says be zealous and repent that he loves us. We have to trust that this is what fellowship looks like. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. We'll eat together and open the door and we'll, this togetherness. I think I've mentioned to you before that funny announcement. Not here, somewhere else. Guy gets up to announce and he says, we'll be having a planning meeting today after morning worship and we'll meet back in the back and there will be no fellowship. What does he mean? No food. I mean, no food. We've made those words synonymous, food and fellowship, but you can have fellowship without the food, can't you? Jesus talks about a fellowship, and, and in this case, it sounds like table fellowship. But if anybody will listen, if anybody will hear my voice, to those who are lukewarm, if you'll listen to what I'm saying, if you'll quit being poor and blind and, and miserable, and if you'll come shop with me, if you'll come to me. By the way, what are the prices on all of the things that Jesus has to give us? Free? Free. But free doesn't mean that no one had to pay for it. Did you ever see that young lady? She was talking about free college, and the guy talking to her said, okay, yes, but who's going to pay for it? And she said, I said free college. And he said, yes, free to the students, but who will pay for it? And she looked at him like he, he was so dumb and said, free college. He said, oh, so the professors are going to work for free, and the electricity is going to be free, and the room's going to be free, and the textbooks are going to be free. Nobody's going to pay for any of that. Just because something is free doesn't mean someone didn't have to pay for it. So these things that Jesus offers to us, this, this love, this fellowship, but he tells us it's possible. We have to trust him that it's possible in verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You can do this. You don't have to be lukewarm. You don't have to be tepid. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We have to believe that this is truth. The kids are starting to come down, so we're going to conclude with this. This idea of, of churches, and, and maybe even Graber Road or Lake Houston or churches, or maybe individually that struggle with lukewarmness. If you want to heat water up, how many molecules need to move faster? All of them. They, they all start moving faster together. In a hot air balloon, if you've ever seen that, uh, the Bible says uh, about two are better than one in Ecclesiastes 4. How can one keep warm alone? It needs to be something that the church does together. You want to not be lukewarm? Be not lukewarm together. Sometimes when we're trying to see ourselves and, and we don't realize we're lukewarm, we don't realize how much we have tapered off. But there are people who can see things we can't see about ourselves, aren't there, in the church, 
It's really good. Some of you are amazing about this, about helping people see what they can't see about themselves. And finally, this trust that we talked about tonight. Sometimes in the church, we look at people and think, you know, you really need to do better. Where really it needs to be, we can do better. We can be warmer together. The heat has to start somewhere, doesn't it? You start with pilot light before the heater comes on. It needs to start somewhere. So maybe tonight it starts with you. Not in an arrogant way, not in a way where you point at other people, but maybe you need to be the pilot light for your friends and your family. Say, you know what, I've gotten very tepid. I've gotten very lukewarm. And I need to hear the truth tonight that Jesus is not okay with casual. He's not okay with okay. Hot or cold, make a choice. And if it's cold, you need to repent. If it's lukewarm, you need to repent. We, there's only one option left. We need to be hot. We need to be committed. Let's pray together and we'll be done for the kids to come in. Father, I know so many times we drift back toward comfortable. Father, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for giving us everything. Father, help us to wake up. Father, help us to give what we've got, even if it's not what someone else has to offer. Help us to give what we have. Father, help us to do our best. Help us to give you our best. Help us to stand before you having left it all on the field. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.